Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. Until next time, bottoms up. No, you're not mistaken. It's not the end of the show, but the beginning. 99 episodes ago, I had a mic and bottoms up to end the show. Now we've reached the 100th episode. I have a mic, bottoms up, and 99 episodes of Lush Life podcast. This is due to the hard work and dedication of everyone involved with a Lush Life manual and Lush Life podcast especially my producer, Evo Terra, who was with me when Lush Life was in the idea stage and who has remained my work partner throughout my Lush Life journey. And of course, my boyfriend and life partner, Akis Stefanides, architect extraordinaire. You may not hear their voices, but their presence is felt in every episode. Everyone who sat across from me has become part of the Lush Life family. I've been inspired by all their stories and lucky enough to have tasted some of the best drinks in the world thanks to their time and generosity. Of course, there would be no show if you didn't listen to it, and I thank you for tuning in every Tuesday. Planning my 100th episode was easy. I had to revisit some of my previous guests who had gone on to other adventures. Really, I just wanted an excuse to see them again. So today, I'm back with Fabiano Latham, now brand ambassador of Recchia Vodka, Tom Soden, who's now created Ace and Freak Cocktails, plus a billion other things, Anna Sebastian, now bar manager of Artesian, Dave Miller, who's at Nuala Bar, and of course, I had to finish up by going back to the beginning with my first interviewee ever, Andy Mill of the Cocktail Trading Company. Let's start with Fabiano, who always makes me laugh. Um, since we last spoke, what have you been up to? So that was two years ago. I know, insane. Which is kind of gross how fast that's gone. Um, I was at Chotomate and then I left, and then three months later I became the Reiki brand ambassador. All right, well, you, you guys always love to speed things up. All right, you had three months off. Yeah, I can't really right. remember what did happened. You? I was enjoying myself. <laughs> no, not that part. But did you know that your brand ambassadoring was going to be the next thing that you wanted to do? No, no way. But I, because I'd been, you know, sort of managing the bar there at Chotomate, it was so intense. I thought this would be a great opportunity to kind of take a step back, figure out what I want to do, do a bunch of like events, bartending. And I, I was doing some shifts at Original Sin in Stoke Newton, which was great. And just kind of getting back behind the bar rather than, you know, sort of doing stock takes and all these kind of dreadful things. Um, and then I went to the William Grant's Highland Games 
in the summer of 2016. And um, the Raker ambassador, who I knew that guy called Joe Pet, she was like, oh, keep your ears open. There's going to be an opportunity coming. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the next day I found out it was his job. I was like, okay, cool. And so did you have to apply for this? Yeah, big time. But I, because I, I won a Raker competition in 2015, I think. Oh, and right, I went I to Iceland. Yeah. And I was completely in love with the country. And yeah. And as soon as it came available, I just threw everything I had at it. Yeah. Can you tell us what, like, what the application process was like? Oh, uh, there was all sorts of big words and things. Actually, I sent one application in and it got sent back to me and they said, could you do it again? I think they were, they were being quite encouraging. My first one, I sent in a picture of me with, I'd just written Raker on my face. Uh, that wasn't like, enough for them. <laughs> they were like, no, do it again. Like, okay, fine. All right, I'd love that. That's very cheeky of you, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, glad they gave me another left. chance. Yeah. <laughs> it could have gone totally the wrong yeah. way, right? <laughs> and so now, remember, you were like Mr. Pisco before, okay? Yeah, Misco, yeah. <laughs> Misco. And now, have you just embraced vodka wholeheartedly? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's such a huge category, and there's so many bars of like, you know, a million different vodka bars in there. But I think, for me, it's about the story of where it comes from. And Iceland is just fascinating. Have you been? I have. Yes. I a think. couple of times. Did you see Northern Lights? I didn't, no. Yeah, I mean, I've been like 10 times now. I've never seen them. I don't think they exist. Maybe we have to go together. Yeah, exactly. it'll, yeah. it'll happen to us <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's just such a, a fascinating and sort of volatile, natural place. And that's why I like to sort of explore more. It is the coolest landscape that I've ever seen. Yeah, it's like some uh-huh. alien. And the fact thing. that they have, you know a million earthquakes a year, just these tiny things that are constantly shifting. Yeah. Where, isn't it where, like, tell me if I'm wrong, North America and Europe meets or something like that. Yeah. It's that constantly, yeah. Sh- the continents shift and shift. So it looks like it's kind of exploding in, in green and no, black. Definitely. Apparently and they have 20 earthquakes a day. In yeah, something moment. crazy I don't know like how that. they like measure it. If uh-huh. It's just one sheep falls over and they're like, oh, there you go, one <laughs> I didn't feel it while it was happening. Me neither. I was you there, can't convince yourself. Was, was uh-huh. that one? No. <laughs> well, tell me a mini story of Reka. The Am mini story. Am I pronouncing story? it right? Yeah, that's good. Reka. Lots of people okay. say like Reka or yeah, but yeah, it's Reka. It means Reka. smoke in Icelandic. Okay. Or steam. Um, and so we like to say it's made of Iceland because we use so much of the local natural um, resources available to us there, like the geothermal energy. Um, the lava rocks, which are just everywhere for filtration. And obviously the water is like, incredibly clean. But also we, we draw upon the personality because, you know, we've spoken before, I'm not the most serious person um, and neither are they. Like, they're serious in what they do, but they don't take themselves very seriously. As you, you know, why would you if you have like a volcano in your garden? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we call it like a, the charmingly offbeat nature of Iceland, which, mm-hmm. we, yeah, which we celebrate big time. It's great. And so what are you doing for them? What is your role as brand ambassador in Compass? So it's great because it's such a, well, it's still relatively small, even though, you know, it's growing differently. But um, mainly just telling people about it because some people don't know it's from Iceland. And as soon as you say that word Iceland, you know, there's, these pictures blossom in your in your brain. Um, but we're, we're, we're starting this, this new uh, initiative called Adventurivity, which essentially um, explores... The links between nature and adventure on uh, creativity for for bartenders because as you know we all work like a million hours a week generally drink too much eat badly not enough sleep this kind of thing so i'm trying to look at the science behind um you know what things in nature how they can um, affect your your psyche in a positive way and sort of increase 
creativity by letting your brain rest, essentially, if that makes sense. So a vodka that lets your brain rest. Yeah. I well, like this idea. Well, you know, it's yeah. well-being. Exactly, yeah. So it's not like we don't go up a mountain and get battered. You know? It's like we... <laughs> The idea is to take bartenders outside of their natural mm-hmm. environment and go into nature and do something extreme and adventurous. And then at the end of it, you know, you've earned this this nice occasion with a drink, perhaps mm-hmm. on a beach or. And also, you think of other other things you're creating, as you said, to yeah. promote creativity exactly, as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh-huh. So um, earlier on this year, I I cycled from Aberdeen to to London. Oh boy. Yeah. That's far. Yeah. How long did it take you? Something like two weeks. And it was for a cocktail competition, and so I was trying to like inspire bartenders to become, you know, adventurous and things. And did did every bartender who was in the competition have to do that? No, my my original plan was yeah, that I was going to do it on a tandem, and the winner <laughs> had to. But it was a bit harsh saying, "Yeah, come, you won the competition. Now you have to now cycle." Have to, <laughs> no <miles."> one entered. <laughs> no, yeah, no one did that. But uh, so I was by myself like seven hours a day. Oh, but it was epic, and I reverted to a much younger version of myself who I thought I'd I'd lost. Oh. Yeah, which was quite nice. Do you think nice. it was just being out in the nature and yeah, doing definitely. something super physical? And also I had so much time to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also listening to like Harry Potter, so I should pretend I was playing Quidditch. No, don't put oh. that in there. Um, <laughs> you know that's going in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you were listening to podcasts, right? Yeah, that's what I meant. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was listening to you going downhill. Yeah. Uh, that was brilliant. All right. And so... You love what you're doing. I think you probably do because you got a tattoo of a of a puffin. Yeah, I really on like your puffins. arm. I don't think I like puffins. When I, well, I did like them when I first met you, but now it's it's a bit extreme. Well, the first time I saw a puffin, I fell in love with it. Did you? Yeah, exactly. Just like you. Yes. 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 I've got a dead puffin as well as a pet. As, all right. Well, that's for a different <laughs> conversation on a different podcast. Yeah, I oh. bring him to trainings, and people look at me like, "What are you doing?" Your dead pet. Does it have a name? Yeah, Sugar Puff McStuffin. Okay, Sugar Puff McStuffin. McStuffin. Because he's, you know, taxidermy. All right, all right. I may need a picture of him for this podcast. (laughs) I was going to bring him. All right. Can you send me a picture of him? (laughs) Yeah, of course, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. All right, well, we'll see where you are in the next 100 episodes. Yeah, see you then. Okay. Next is Tom Soden, who had just opened Nine Lives Bar when we met him last. Now he's creating some of the best cocktails in a can. Plus, plus, plus. Um, what have I been doing? I have been doing two things in particular. Um, I left Sweet and Chili to pursue two new projects. Um, one which is around 80% of my time currently, which is a new product called Ace and Freak, which is a cocktail in a can, but made completely without compromise. So in the same way that you would expect a cocktail in a bar. And I'm the managing director of that. And then I've also set up what is essentially a conglomerate of highly skilled people which have come together under an umbrella of destructive lines which is a destructive or disruptive destructive 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 lines it's um it's kind of an analogy of the japanese definition of beauty which is wabi-sabi which is perfection and chaos so destructive lines as a reference to that so that's kind of like a little agency which myself and a team of people which we will be announcing next year we'll be working under 
um, as a creative outlet for each of us. So how is this different from Sweet and Chili? So Destructive Lions is more of a creative outlet for each individual, focusing on more bespoke, fixed and long-term items. So for example, it's more handcrafted items. So we work directly with fabricators to produce very bespoke pieces of point of sale. We would consult on very high-end venues, one-off venues that require very specialist skills. So rather than being a mass market, high volume output, it will be more of a small scale bespoke product. Um, as such, it's not really a revenue generator for each individual, but it's more of an artistic outlet for each individual. And then that would sit alongside um, Ace and Freak, Ace and Freak is very much my mainstay and my majority of my time, um, whereas Destructive Lines would be a little artistic flurry for myself and for the other people. Well, okay, Ace and Freak. Um, so cocktail in a can. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been a cocktail in a can? Yeah, there has been. I mean, the US market has got quite a few. Um, in the UK, there are some pretty sorry excuses for it. Which Because I think of cocktail in a bottle. But I, yeah, but I don't think of cocktail in a can, really. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is, is that the reason for cans is, is twofold. It's, it's quality and sustainability. So a can is 90% recyclable. It's infinitely, infinitely recyclable. It weighs 80% less than a bottle. So therefore, you have 80% less of the carbon footprint uh, in order to distribute it. And on the other side, it's quality. So light and air both degrade the quality of a product. So if I put a product into a can, no light gets in and no air gets in. And that means I need to put less chemicals or no chemicals into it. It means that I can use fresh juices. Um, so therefore I can create a cocktail which is essentially the same as, as a cocktail you can get in a bar. Whereas if I put it into a bottle, I get light degradation, I've got you know, the integrity of the liquid can be compromised because of any air getting in. So it's very much a specific choice um, to put it in a can. Do you think the taste changes? Say, I'm saying this because, you know, when I drink a, a bottle of beer versus mm -hmm. a can of beer, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's psychological, mm -hmm. but I do taste a difference and I prefer the one that's out of a bottle. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's, again, do you think that's just psychological? Yes, um, partly. If anything, the the beer in the bottle will degrade depending on how long it's been in that bottle comparative to a can. So therefore, you actually get a fresher quality taste. So maybe I just like bad beer. Maybe. <laughs> so um, what? So what flavor? How do you even know where to start with flavors? And you know, did you just go with your gut? It's 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 a very it's a very interesting creative process because what I do is I work alongside a very specialist fruit manufacturer, so we source the alcohol component ourselves directly from suppliers. I don't buy any brand name products. So, for example, I blend my blend my own rum specifically with a rum broker. So it's completely bespoke to us. We work directly with vineyards for specific wines etc. We are looking to distill our own spirits. We're currently in conversation with the craft distillery and I have a very well-known distiller who's, who's going to produce some product for us. And I work with this fruit company and it's very much uh, 
retrofitted style and with the way that we produce this because what I will do is I will go in with a flavor profile in my mind and almost what I need to do is remove my understanding of ingredients and I allow them to lead with that. So, because actually the ingredients available to me are far greater than you can ever get in a bar. So for example, one of our flavors, I went through about eight different mint essences in order to find the right one and I ended up using a combination of the two. So, you know, I go in and I say, this is a flavor profile I want. What essences, purees, fruit juices do you have? You know, and even if even if we look at orange juice, for example, I, I can be like a chef, so I can change the flavor of the orange due to provenance due to the processing of this. Where does this orange juice come from? How has it been processed? Is it a concentrate? Is it a fresh juice? Is it, you know, that all of these elements, because you are subjecting that ingredient to heat will change the flavor profile of it. So essentially I have just got a far greater catalog of flavors for me to work from. I know it's, it just must be for someone who doesn't know or who's not in that world, just the amount of choices are insane to just even start because you know just one mint is enough you know eight mints then combining them and so how long did it take to create your first the first one um it's relatively easy because as a bartender i've spent in excess of fourteen thousand hours behind a bar then i worked as a consultant where i was working both for drinks brands and venues developing flavors. I have spent the past 16 years of my life working professionally with flavors. Mm -hmm. So I've written cocktail menus probably for an excess of 50 venues. I have then analyzed sales data to, to ascertain how popular each of those drinks were. So I've got a pretty good understanding of what consumers like, what consumers don't like. So it took us, it took me around, um, you know, an eight hour session in the lab to, we produced around eight variants. I then singled those down to four. We then did product tasting, consumer tasting. Um, we then whittled it down to two. We then produced 20,000 units of those. And then we then market tested it. So we launched this summer into various different music festivals, venues, etc. And then I analyze sales data. You know, I can think this tastes great. You can right, think this course. tastes great. But then I know it tastes great when I look at the sales data from a music festival and I watch sales grow, you know, because I have a heat map. So I can see, okay, well, one person bought this and they shared it with three people. Then three people bought it and they shared it with, you know, so, <laughs> so you can literally see that. So you go, okay, we've got a good flavor now. So, uh-huh. Yeah, it's an interesting journey. So what are the flavors? So we are going to be, the, the launch ones that we've got are, we have a cucumber and watermelon sangria, um, which is kind of uh, fruity floral. We have a bitter, we have a blood orange and cranberry Americano, so bittersweet. We have a ginger and lemongrass mule, which is sour spicy. And then we have a mint and elderflower spritz. So that's, that's a very interesting one because it, it's actually quite dry, fruity, a, t- a tiny bit of note on the back of the palate. So it's a little bit like a viognier with a little bit of a bitter aperitif in there. So it's kind of fruity, dry. It's nice. It's good. So back to destructive lines. Yeah. Um, if I wanted to start a bar, 
Yeah. Is that would I come to you and say, I want to start a bar. Let's, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how people would find you to, <laughs> I know you can be found and all the people in the know know you, but just maybe someone who might be listening to this go, you know, they sound great. I want to build a bar. You know, how would people find you? Are you? Um, www.destructivelines.com right. and, and then get in contact. I mean, generally speaking, we don't publicize. Um, same with my personal consultancy with Project Akai. It's, it's, it's through referrals only just because I have so much going on. And I, when I left Sweet Chile, I became a father. And when I became a father, I made a very conscious decision to, do, to only do things I loved because effectively it makes you happy. And if you're happy, then you're effectively rich. And you, know, you realize that when you have a child, this, this little human being is a complete sponge to your mental state. So if you want a happy child, you need to be happy yourself. And that's, for me personally, one of the secrets to parenting. If you're happy, your child's happy. Um, but yeah, destructivelines.com and you can find us. Um, I think there. you left me with that last time. Yeah. That you, if you're doing what you love, you have to be, you are happy. And yeah. that is the most important thing in life. Absolutely. So I'm still glad that that's still <laughs> the same mantra. thing we're ending with. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So is there anything else you're doing apart from all, you know, those two big projects? Yeah. So I got approached by um, a family friend who called me up and I think as with a lot of fa my family and a lot of my friends, I don't really know what I do because it's very separate. And she calls me up one day and she says, Tom, I've got a question for you. Does anyone use bamboo straws? And I said, well, it's funny you should say that because yes, they do, you know, and we use them a lot in nine lives. And she said, well, you know, it's interesting. We're thinking about setting up a, a bamboo straw company because we've been working with these guys over in Indonesia that are hand making all of the straws themselves. So we decided to set up uh, a business which is kind of two guys over in Southeast Asia, one in Hong Kong, one over in Indonesia, um, some guys over in the UK and we set up a company called Sinta Bamboo. And Sinta Bamboo is about producing barware in a sustainable and in a sustainable way that has a direct human impact so what we do is we produce bamboo straws on a small island over in indonesia they are all made by hand they support the local community so what this enables us to do is enables us to take western money place it into an environmentally perhaps unstable environment and we from there what we can then do is we can produce these straws this then puts money into the local community which allows them to create a sustainable industry that has no plastic there's no but there's no plastic the bamboo straws are packaged in bamboo they are then wrapped in twine there is no bamboo there's no plastic within that whole environment and then it also generates money which goes towards a local charity which looks after children in that local area, um, increasing, you know, basically teaching them to read and write as well. So there's a human benefit and there's an environmental benefit. I joined Anna Sebastian in her new digs at the Artesian Bar in the Langham Hotel. So 
how has it been since you left the Savoy? It's been amazing. Obviously, I think leaving the Savoy after seven years of being there, the only thing I can sort of relate it to is like a really bad breakup. I think the Savoy was such a special part of my life and it was, when I left, I honestly was in tears. I, devastated but I think it was the right time to go and it was the right time to move on and you know for myself sort of personally sort of professionally as well and I think the opportunity at the Artesian came out and it was something that I found really interesting it was a bar that I'd always loved it was the first bar that I drank whiskey in like a good whiskey McAllen 18 um, so I had like a really nice sort of significance for me as well um, so joining this and I think also it was a for me it was a hotel bar that sort of redefined how people looked at hotel bars you could come in here you could have fun you could drink something out of a crazy surf or do shots of mezcal and it still be sort of acceptable in the environment um so i think it was really pioneering of its time and then when the opportunity came out obviously a couple of years later um it was something that i was really interested in um and uh, i guess what the langham wanted to do is bring in a new leadership team and almost give us that sort of fresh canvas in a really beautiful hotel and a beautiful environment to do something really special um so obviously with myself um, i joined and then Revy joined as well from little red door and then from that we sort of just started building building a team and planning the year ahead so did you start with everyone now no so there was still an existing team in place which was great so it was really nice of like getting to know everybody as well but obviously when there's new leadership team naturally people will go naturally new people will come so myself and Remy both invited people to come and join us which was really amazing and everybody that we wanted to said yes which is really nice so you'll see a few familiar faces from Little Red Dorm from the Savoy as well which is which is really nice and then you know after that we sort of just built built new people brought some new people in and uh, really sort of developed the team and collectively as a whole sort of came together so we're now 22 people in the team which is a nice it's a big team but it's very much needed for an operation of this size as well and you've you've been here a year now yes um, yeah how have you seen it grow since you've come yeah very much so i think sort of there's been different types of growth there's been obviously growth from the business as well um there's been like a reduction in um like labor turnover obviously an increase in revenue as well that's always good yeah that's always that's always good obviously you know you've got your bottom line and you've got your profit as well which we've seen increase and I think it's, it's really down to the team and the systems that we've put in place um, not only the drinks menus which is we've launched two since we've joined but also sort of inputting things like a sequence of service um, working towards certain targets or certain goals we work very closely with Forbes travel guides which is very sort of influential in the hotel and travel industry as, as you know and you know, putting in things to achieve what we need to get the results that we want has been really interesting and uh, lots of training and lots of hard work with that I guess also product knowledge being able to upsell and being able to talk about things as well but and also the menu as well we've launched um, a month after we joined we launched our first menu so that was all that was called um, was based around classic cocktails so it was called Deter determinism and classic cocktails so we looked we picked 15 drinks and we looked at the idea of where the ingredients is from 
um, and what how the environment affects that ingredient. So a lime from Sri Lanka is going to taste very different from than the lime from Mexico, and so on and so forth. So we kind of did our own twist on classics, and that was very much we wanted to. Firstly, we wanted to serve our own drinks, but also we wanted a fresh start. And I think the direction of where drinks are going in the industry is going away from the extravagant serves and um, it's much more about the liquids as opposed to the Less drama, more liquid. Kind exactly. Of. exactly. Yeah, I love that expression. <laughs> um, so it was very much that blank canvas. The menu, the design of it really reflected that as well. It allowed us to kind of, I guess, start putting our mark and I guess our ethos and our sort of vision on, on the space. You said that was your first menu. So yes. then how have the menus grown in time? So we had that one for, I would say, well, we had that one until May. And then on May the 9th, we launched our second menu, which is called Artesian Moments, which is what we have at the moment. Well, I have a question. Why did you feel the need to change menu? Was it seasonal or you just felt, okay, we've had that one for a while. Let's scrap that and try something new. I think it was It was always a plan. It was always a plan to release a for want of a better expression, a temporary menu. Um, it was. It didn't really end up being a temporary menu because it was really a beautiful piece of art, so to speak. Um, but we wanted to do that straight away, like I said, as almost to kind of set precedence that this is what we're doing next. And, and then the second one we wanted to release five months after as our sort of main menu. So... So quite soon after. Quite soon afterwards, yeah. So it was quite... It was... We didn't have a lot of time. Most menus, you know, you work on for a year and you have a lot of time yeah. to develop the liquid and develop the design and training. But um, that would be too easy, I guess. <laughs> but That's it, a really tough thing. Yeah, it was, it was. It was. It was It was. tough sort of getting, all, pulling all elements of it together in such a short amount of time. You know, five months is such a short time. Did you feel you kind of got your market research, as in the people who came, those those drinks that they chose, those were the ones you were going to go with, or you just said, forget that, I'm, we're, it doesn't matter, we're you know going to do what we want? Yeah, I think maybe a combination. I, I don't. I think in hindsight, five months is not enough time. I mean, a year is almost not enough time. Um, but I think in this environment, if you're here, if you're present, you get to know your guests very, very well. I think our current menu is very relatable for people. It's all about, we have 17 drinks on the menu, each representing a different life-defining moment that essentially we all share, but have very different experiences. So maybe it's the first time you fell in love, or the first time you went traveling, or the first time maybe you had a kid, or the first time you went to big school. Again, we because we're all from different places, we all have very different experiences, and therefore we have different flavors associated with those moments. However, in order to make the drinks not our moments, but our guests, we actually sent out a survey um, asking people what flavors and scents and smells do you relate to, say, turning 18? And from that, we got just over 500 responses back. Um, and we picked out the flavors that kept reoccurring. So essentially, we found a consensus amongst things. So, you know, turning 18, it's you know, smoke, beer, tequila, sambuca. Uh, all of these things sort of kept... All the vices, really. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we picked the top ones we made, and then essentially we made drinks out of those flavors. So we always say the flavors were always there. We just had to ask the question. Um, and that leads on to, you know, with... You know, Remy has a background in philosophy, so there are lots of theories sort of behind it. You know, I studied at school psychology, so we both have a good understanding of 
like there's the depth to no, I understand. There's the little red door. I remember yeah. was what painting did you like? Yeah, it's very they, evocative. You know, they pick a drink based on the painting. Exactly. So that doesn't surprise me that it came. From yeah, there. and it was uh. amazing, and you know that sort of creative creative direction allowed us to create a beautiful menu that is very easy for guests to interact with and people to relate to, which is which is quite nice. And probably puts a smile on everyone's face. Yeah, it's know? a nice sort of talking point mm-hmm. if you want it to be, and it's not intrusive. And it's all about the liquids. You know, we, in order to develop the liquid, we constantly have somebody on a lab shift. So by that, we've got this beautiful lab downstairs uh, with all our equipment in. And we have somebody there um, all day, just preparing all the liquids and using all the equipment, whether it's a rotovap or the centrifuge or yeah, anything, anything that you could think of, we have down there to create whatever we need do you ever try your hand at creating things yeah definitely oh, i think i mean everybody has the opportunity to do so and the way that we've hired people in this bar is traditionally hotels you have the bar you have the floor you have the bar back you have a house whereas here everybody will do everything so one week you may have two shifts on the bar one week you may have three shifts and then the rest of the time you'll spend on the floor or on the door and the reason why we do it is i guess it's operated maybe like a street bar for example maybe like coupettes or whatever else Um, and it allows not only better knowledge but also better delivery of the drinks and a better experience and service for our guests definitely because I know I want to walk into a bar and recognize people and have a discussion with them you know and see them all around so that would you know I can't imagine that that it doesn't work so well yeah and you know what it actually it makes one thing it makes doing the rotor so much easier <laughs> but also you know there's only nine seats at the bar but those nine seats are full and sometimes people will sit there all night and you come in say you work in the industry and you want to sit at the bar but there's no space you can still sit at the table and still have the same experience because you're getting the same people serving you the drinks or you know whoever's at the bar can come round and serve a drink and so gone are the days, I think, of this traditional sort of setup. I think it's very, very interesting. Like, and we have a very even split of guys and girls in the bar, which is really nice. Um, so it's a really good dynamic that we have. And moving forward, it's definitely something I'd like to see like other places embrace as well. Well, after the next hundred episodes, I will not be surprised if you are somewhere else training <laughs> more people to do what you love. Because definitely your enthusiasm has not um, um, gone down since I've uh, since we met the first I time. Hope not. I it's hope not. Passionate. Yeah, I mean it's it's an amazing environment. I think the industry it changes constantly, and you have to change with it. Um, whether you're in a hotel, whether you're in a bar in East London, whether you're in a bar in India or wherever, things constantly evolve. And I think with all the travel that happens, it makes a community much smaller, but much more interactive as well. Absolutely. Which is really exciting to see, really exciting to see. Well, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Dave Miller wanted to make Hemingway a margarita in Dalston. Now he reports from Old Street, a place he knows well. So the last time I met you, we were in Ray's bar. Yeah. So now we're in someplace completely different. Now it's a female bar. Yes. It's Nula bar. <laughs> no, it's Nula, yeah. <laughs> so what happened to uh, get you out of there and into here? Well, it just kind of, um, just an opportunity came up. Ray's was kind of running its course. It was a cool project when, um, 
when I was there. Um, but the powers that be decided that they wanted to do something that was a little more late night and a little more messy, <laughs> I guess. So, um, yeah, it was all very, it, it was very cool. Um, everything happened in a really nice way where we kind of had this cool project and people still miss it and I miss it, but. Well, does uh, that mean more, you know, high volume cocktails? More, less, less. Classic less, less refined, I, right. I would say. A little more sweaty and messy, I guess. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, so, uh, and then around about the same time, I was very lucky that Nula came up. Um, I previously worked with some of the people that were involved in, in setting this place up, which was really, really cool. And it, it adds like a really nice symmetry to my time in London because my first my first job that I moved down for was just on the other side of Old Street Roundabout. So I'm back yeah. in the same neighborhood as I was. Um, and I'm working with some of the same people that I, that I kind of started out with here. So it gives you this really like great snapshot and perspective of how far you've come when you think of like all these different neighborhoods that you've worked in and lived in and all the people that you've met. And then you're kind of coming back to- How long um, has it been since you worked I in Old Street? Moved to London six years ago. So that was, right, I didn't think it had been that long. Yeah, so oh. but it's really cool. So we can't be really dramatic and say, no, 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 now you're coming like, yeah, home. Yeah. No, right. not at all. But I mean, it's like, it's, it is really nice to kind of think about it in that way because uh -huh. like this industry moves so fast and you kind of, you find yourself going everywhere and to, to kind of be back here is really fun. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So what are you doing here? I'm the bar manager here. Um, I'm in charge of the, the wet side of the business for for the restaurant upstairs, but mainly my my focus is the basement. Uh -huh. Lots of Guinness and Irish whiskey and nice cocktails and live music. And Have you put your stamp on it? I think just about, yeah. <laughs> I saw it, like... What is the Dave Miller stamp? I don't know. I, I play lots of Steely Dan and things like that. The music policy is big for me. Um, we've done some really cool stuff with the cocktail list and um, it feels like a really comfortable room for me now. It's I mean, it did to begin with. It's really nice. It's a really nice spot, but um, it's definitely a, a room that I would spend. I enjoy spending a lot of time in. It's not a chore to come to work. So, that's always a so good what time. did you do to the cocktail list? We changed it into. Um, we tried to do uh, modern classics. Being where we are uh, near Old Street, we get a lot of, um, especially over the weekend, you'll get a lot of guests who'll come in from outside the city who've just got off the train. So. I was trying to put together a, a cocktail list that spoke to people that maybe aren't your typical East London cocktail um, set, but still doing things interesting. So we did kind of modern classics, but um, uh, doing it in a way that was interesting. So we have like our, we have an espresso martini that we use a Guinness reduction in and we infuse a ton of stuff. So it's, you can still look at it and it's still a, it's still an espresso martini, but it's interesting and it's still going to taste good and you're still going to enjoy it. But if you want to talk to me and geek out about what we're doing, then we can still do that, which mm -hmm. is like, so we tried to hit that balance right in the middle yeah, yeah. and it's going, it's going really, really well. So have you found that some of these kind of commuters I'm using inverted commas yeah. have, you know, taken to that style? Of yeah. Cocktail? Yeah. Lots of people will, will become more interested and yeah. it, is, it is really trying to hit that balance where if you just want like, a drink that you can recognize on a menu then that's fine and that's what you, that's what we'll give you but 
if you want to go into the depth of what goes into it, then it's going to be something that's quite interesting. And hopefully that encourages people to drink some other things more or less. They're a little, oh, more, little more challenging. So. Uh-huh. so, in the next hundred episodes, yep. you think you'll still be here? Hope, hopefully. I'm very comfortable. Um, yeah. It's You're like, as long as, it depends how long 100 episodes take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah how, how quickly is that? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I would hope so. It's a very comfortable place. We have a great team and we have some really nice stuff and we're, we're working on some really cool things. So it's, um, it's not a chore at all to be here. I, I do enjoy coming here every day. So I would hope so, yeah. Good. Well, I'll stop by. Yeah, sweet. And now Andy Mill at the Cocktail Trading Company, which will always hold a special place in my heart. So can you believe it has been so long? Oh, I wasn't going to say it. Three three years years since we sat down last, 100 episodes later. You were my first. Yes, I got the interview virginity. I love it. I know. I had no idea what I was doing. Not that I... Uh, no, you did. You had it pretty well. Just um, a few little, like, streamlining stuff. But now you've pulled journalism out. I guess so. I guess so. So I was kind of been touching base with everyone about what they've been doing. And the last time we met, you didn't have this space that we're sitting in now. It's no, crazy. So last, last time we met was, um, must have been September-ish, was it? Or, like, late July? Um, 2015 and we just opened our, our second pop-up so the cocktail trading company in Smithfield Market in London and then probably about three four months after that we managed to um, uh, consolidate the pop-ups and move them into this new space which we have here which is the cocktail trading company in Shoreditch which really isn't new anymore no it's, it's not. had what two years yeah I keep saying our new bar but I look at it and I'm like two years we should probably varnish the bar top again at some point <laughs> and but, and how many menus have you been through um, since since 2015, seven. Oh boy, seven. And today just happens to be... Yeah, so today the lo- is the launch of our number seven menu, which is quite uh-huh. nice. So when this, this, when this goes up, when this goes live, it'll just be around for about a week and a half. Um, I wish. <laughs> our, our last menu, just, we've had loads of other projects going on, so our last menu sort of stagnated a little bit, which just, just gets a bit boring. Like, it's a bit like having the same dinner every night of the week. After a while, you're just like, oh, I just want to do something different. But now we've got a new menu, so we'll probably keep this until just before summer and then hopefully do like a warmer month's menu. Well, let me tell everyone that um, it smells like a bakery in here. It smells so good. So for that's, even if you don't we drink, come down for for the pastry. It's because for some reason on all of our menus, there's always one like one piece of equipment that gets utilized the most, whether it be like a sous vide machine or a still. But in this case, it's the oven. And so there's just a lot of baked goods on this menu, which makes the venue smell amazing. Mm-hmm. So we've got one drink garnished with our little pastries, one drink garnished with... Um, looks a bit like an American pie. Uh, it's a garnish with like a pastry lid, which you can eat, which is very tasty. Uh, one which comes with like toasted watermelon. So it's a lot of bacon. It's a lot of Great British Bake Off you guys have been, it is. you've been watching. Actually, that's probably it. Everyone's been watching Great British Bake Off and they're like, oh, you know what we need to do? We've got an oven which we never use. Well, yeah, it isn't just hard enough making cocktails, but <laughs> let's bake too. The, the bacon's okay though, unless they burn it, in which case. No, then it doesn't smell good. Yeah, no. But it's like, that's what I love about here is that you never just rest on the fact that you can make great cocktails and you are always pushing yourself to do completely different things. We, we like fun stuff. 
Um, the, the way we look at it is um, because it's not a very big venue here, so we've only realistically got say six, seven seats at the bar, and then we've got a few resting spaces. So most of the interaction is through table service. And once you've dropped off the drinks and you've given it your bit of banter and you've had a bit of fun with your guests and you're building that, that sort of like engaging with them, what are you doing with the rest of the time? So if your drinks can sort of tell the story and engage with them while you're doing other stuff and serving other people, then you're pretty much never leaving a table. You're just not there in person sort of thing. Which is what we try and do with the drinks. We try them, try and make them a little bit fun, interactive, sort of stuff where they're good drinks and the liquids are very solid drinks, but then try and make them a bit fun as well. Well, that's what's great. I mean, you never really leave your guests. And when you come back to see if they want something else, they can then chat to you about what they've just had. And you can get like immediate feedback from that. Yeah, which, which is always great. It's always really nice just um, being able to give someone a drink. Most most people come in, they'll choose a drink off the menu. There's two sorts of people that order drinks. The people that come in, they know exactly what they want. And they want a classic drink. I want a McBrody, I want a Manhattan, an old-fashioned Sazerac, whatever it may be. Then you've got the ones who want to come in and see what you're doing. And they come in and go, oh, let's see what's on the menu. And they'll have a menu drink. And then they go, that was nice. I want something like that, but not that. Mm-hmm. And then you get to have a little bit of fun and start playing about and working out what someone really likes. And then sort of tailoring it to their needs. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you get it right. But it's the, the, the negative space between the two, which actually gets you to really know your guests. Have you ever had a fir- like the first class, the people who come in and say, I only want a Negroni, and you've said, look at the menu, are you sure we do all these other things? Or they pretty much are set? To be honest, if someone comes in and they say, I want this, I've never, I've, I don't think I've ever actually said, oh, why don't you try something else? What I'd always say is, yeah, no problem. And we generally, because we don't have a lot of bartenders on, there's only a couple of people for sort of like a 70 to 80 capacity venue, so we're always making other drinks. So we very unless it's like early doors or like last person on like a Monday and it's snowing or something, we're generally doing a lot of different things. So if we're making a drink that's quite similar to a drink that someone's ordered, we'd be like, oh, why don't you try a little bit of this, give them a little taste, and they go, oh, you know what, that's not too bad actually. Mm-hmm. I'll have that next time, and then you can sort of sort of dip your toe in the river, uh-huh. as they say, uh-huh. or swim pool, whatever the saying is. So. I'm just assuming that in three years, if I come back in three years after the next 100, I hope it's not going to be three years, though. Um, Hopefully that, one year. One, one year between now. <laughs> no, gotcha, no, rest of the no, no, I can't. No, at least it's 52, <laughs> right? So at least be two years. But um, what what are your kind of hopes and ambitions for the next few years? Um, so we've got a couple things on the, on the uh, books at the moment. So first one is we're opening a second site in Bristol at the moment. So we've just been refurbishing that for the last sort of three months. And we're, we're quite hands-on, so we do everything, or mostly everything in-house, except for electrics and gas work. So we do pretty much all the building works, um, all the interior design, um, all the product, all the brand development, everything. So that is due to open, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, um, which is called Filthy 13s, which is down in Stokescroft on Cheltenham Road in Brist- Bristol. Um, and then we're hopefully doing another bar in London. Um, I Fingers crossed, we've got an offering on a place and it's in legals at the moment. So if that all goes through, we should have sort of a confirmation on it, ideally before Christmas, which would be nice. And that would be a cute little Christmas present for us all. Yes, and now I'm I'm totally superstitious. So I'm not going to even ask you about that. We'll come back in the new year and you'll tell me more as it happens. Yeah, if, uh-huh. it, if it doesn't go through, we'll just never mention this moment again. Right. And can you just like edit it out the interview? If All it right. does go through, then we'll be like, yeah, we got it, Christmas oh present. God, that was what they were talking about. L- That's London so bar cool. number two. Now, um, I have a question about Bristol. Why Bristol? 
Um, so Bristol was a really great city. A um, couple reasons. From a bar point of view, there's a handful of really good bars there which have been there for years and are really well established. And they've got a great sort of repertoire, great clientele. A lot of really good bartenders that work in other cities now and around the world have started off in Bristol. And then Bristol is quite a small city. It's a very communal city, but they really care about the local community. So it's one of the few places in the UK where they have a thing called a local pound or in Bristol, it's a Bristol pound which is essentially a currency, which is a local currency, which you can only redeem in independent mm. businesses within the city. So, for And it's a way of stopping the money leaving the city so it gets recycled within the community. So instead of, say, going, for example, going to a supermarket, you buy a sandwich, a bit of that money will go to the people working there, which they'll spend in the local community. But the lion's share of the cash will actually go to the shareholders, which could be anywhere in the world. But in Bristol, everyone is so much about like local community and local business that you know if you spend a pound in a place, probably 50p of that pound is going to go back directly into the local community. So it's just a great place to try and build a business and build um, just a great community-based bar business. Everyone comes down. Everyone is a, is a really nice, tight-knit um, group of people that drink cocktails in Bristol, and it seems to be growing every day. And now with cocktail culture becoming so prominent and almost being the bread and butter of the English high street. So it used to be pubs were the places that you go. But now it seems people like to go to bars a little bit more. The service is a little bit better. The product list is a little bit more interesting. And I think Bristol is just a phenomenal place to try and accomplish that. As that- well, it's got a lot of foodies there. I think it's got more Michelin-style restaurants per capita than any other city in England. And you need drinks to go along with that Michelin star food, of course. You do, because you've got to yeah. do something before, and no one's ever full when they leave a Michelin star restaurant, so you've got to do something after. Exactly. Now, you know, while you're telling me about Bristol, it does remind me of our interview so long ago. And you were the first person I had ever heard who, I call it, created a bar like John Lewis, where everyone <laughs> got um, ha- was invested in the business. And so it doesn't surprise me that that would that part of Bristol would be attractive to you because um, I thought that was such a wonderfully generous quality that you had, that you really wanted your staff to be um, part of the whole project. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know? I've always, um, always found it really important to, uh, we all have, myself and my business partners and co-founders, that it's really important to keep your staff within the company. There's, there's no point trying to scrape as much cash out of a business as you can if the business, every time you scrape the money out, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But if you can just leave a bit of that money and take what you need to survive, pay your rent, make sure your cat's fed on time, so on and so forth, um, and then just leave it in and grow the business with your team, and then they give them a piece of the pie so they feel vetted in it, then when it comes to actually, say, splitting profits, and you're like, oh, you know what, I'd really like to get a car now, then you look at it and everyone else is like, yeah, it's all right. You take a bit of money, you get your car, I've got a bit of cash, I'll get my car, we're all happy. There's no reason to downsize on quality. And I think it's a really generous quality that I remember even from our first um, meeting so long ago. And I think it, it, considering that the holiday season is coming up, it's a great place to end. Yeah. I think, and to begin the new year with that, that those thoughts. So give back, play forward. Exactly. So thanks. Oh, thanks for coming down. Good to see you. A huge thank you goes out to all my previous guests and everyone who helped me, even in the smallest way. 
especially the PRs who made these interviews possible and got the word out. All of you who downloaded on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to Lush Life, I thank you and wish you all the best this holiday season. As it is holiday time, I wanted to let you know that I'm helping to raise funds for Healthy Hospo, a foundation that my guest and friend, Tim Etherton Judge, set up. They are a not-for-profit that provides information, advice, support, and training on mental and physical health and how to thrive for all those in the hospitality industry. So whether you're behind the bar, on the floor, in the kitchen, or work directly with the trade, remember, you're not alone and they're here for you. Please go to healthyhospo.com backslash donate to support them. Of course, I couldn't end without a cocktail of the week. Our cocktail of the week is the Puffin Collins. And you probably can guess by its name that it's made with Recchia Vodka. I'm going to tell you the ingredients first. You'll need 50 mLs of Recchia Icelandic Vodka, 30 mLs of fresh pink grapefruit juice, 20 mLs of elderflower cordial, two cherry tomatoes, and 50 mLs of soda water. Muddle one of the tomatoes in a shaker, and then add the ingredients, but not the soda or it will explode. Shake it like a Viking beast. Can you tell Fabiano gave me that instruction? Strain over ice into a highball, top it with soda, then stir. Then garnish it with the other cherry tomato, which should be on the vine, because it looks nicer. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. We're taking a break until the new year when we start with season three. No hints, as it would ruin the surprise, but there will be some small changes for all your listening pleasure. One thing I can reveal is our first guest will be Mia Johansson, the co-owner of the award-winning Bar Swift in London. I fell in love with her the first time we met, and I didn't even know that there is always my favorite Venetian cocktail on the menu, a scropino. So have a great holiday and remember to donate to Healthy Hospo at healthyhospo.com backslash donate. Now say it with me. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.